and welcome to episode 201 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm Weishan and we have Tony with me here today. Hey Tony, sadly, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, sadly, we don't have uh, Dan and James on, you know, just back to our regularly scheduled program. You have to wait for episode 300 for the next go around. Yeah, I hope you weren't shocked when I, when I started instead of Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were all, they were all like, ah, oh, it's not going to be another reunion special, damn. <laughs> so anyway, Tony, we've got a sponsor this week, right? We do, we do. Um, once again, uh, it's SmartStream. You know that they do reconciliations. Uh, we're going to link to a paper on reconciliations that some of you might have already read. But, uh, you know, speaking of reconciliations, you know what else needs reconciling with Shen? What? Your opinion of Space Force. That show straight up sucks. I do not know what you see in that. Oh, shut up, old man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have, we have a guest on for you this week. But before that, our girl Josephine. She broke a story last week. Why don't you walk us through that, T? Uh, yeah, so... Last week, God, it was last week, man. That's, it's funny that just time just time just really kind of flows together, right? But anyway, uh, she broke a story about that um, Deutsche Börse is going to exit their regulatory reporting business. Uh, so you might have remembered uh, beginning uh, maybe beginning of the month or a couple of weeks back, uh, CME on its website put up that they're going to be scaling back its uh, abide financial and next regulatory reporting businesses, as well as its uh, European and Australian trade repositories. And they're going to try and do that by uh, this November. Well, Deutsche Börse similarly uh, is looking to offload its regulatory businesses, which is uh, the regulatory reporting hub. Uh, It's approved reporting mechanism, it's arm and uh, it's approved publication arm. It's APA. In the coming months, uh, uh, Josephine learned, and the reason why you know it, it's definitely worth giving a read. And Josephine's going to have a follow-up story coming out, uh, maybe by the time that you hear this podcast. Uh, I'm not harm sure when this podcast can go or when uh, that story is going to be published, but uh, but just looking at this space as a lot of um, uh, players are now looking to back away from this set, the, the profit margins, uh, the it's basically the, it's a pricing war that's kind of broken out there and there's just no profit in this business. There's no, there's no reason kind of stay in it. So I think it'll just kind of be interesting because there are some rumors of some other players that are going to be looking to get out in the near future. And so I think we're going to see significant consolidation in this space to the point where, you know, it might, who knows down the line where this kind of stuff could almost be, move toward a utility kind of a service or something like that, but maybe that's too drastic. Who knows? Um, but it doesn't feel like the technology fully, it doesn't feel like you can fully uh, really uh, separate yourself from the pack through the use of technology. It's just basically a pricing game and, you know, why stay in it unless, you know, you really need that, those kind of, those nickel and dimes, I guess. Do you think that you will, we'll see more winding up or will we will have those businesses like being sold off gradually? Well, it sounds like with both. Uh, so with Deutsche Börse, they wouldn't confirm anything, but uh, several sources told Josephine that they were looking to sell. Um, just weren't, weren't having any success. Sound like, if, I, if I remember correctly, CME was also looking to sell, um, but no, but couldn't find any buyers. So... Yeah, it's almost kind of just like a lot. Yeah, you know, I just kind of say, all right, we can't sell it. 
but we're not going to keep on investing in this. Doesn't make any sense. Let's get out of it. So there could be once there are only a few players left, then if a utility model happened, it would almost happen where if there's like three, four left, you almost just kind of gobble them up and just kind of create one one service. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to see. And we'll link the story here. Yep. Yeah. And keep an eye out for the CME follow-up in the coming weeks. Yep. If uh, if it does come out before this podcast, I will link it as well. Okay. And uh, But yeah, if any of our listeners know anything about any other players looking to get out of it, or maybe some of the reasons behind it, um, you can reach out to me and I can direct you on. But uh, Josephine Gallagher uh, would be the person to hit up. Yep. Okay. So this week, our guest is uh, Sanjana Paris Rampuria. She's the head of Refinitiv Labs out here in Asia. And she and I uh, talk about unstructured data. Uh, Sanjana and I have uh, had a couple of conversations before. They usually end up, um, it, it could end up being like hours long because we tend to like geek out about <laughs> several things. And the conversation just goes from one topic to another topic that, you know, we neither of us envisioned it would be about. <laughs> Conversations with you just seem to go that way a lot of times. <laughs> uh... No, 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 but we have a lot of fun. So, and, and, uh, such as good people. So, good people. Uh, yeah, we, we, there's one interesting concept that she talks about, uh, about how, uh, unstructured data should be approached. And it's like uh, an onion, you know, there are different layers to it and depends on what you want to do and how you approach it, you know, how you peel back that onion, really. And then eventually it just makes you want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> without wasting too much time, let's just jump straight to that. Uh, we'll be back with a guest next week, so till then. See you next week. Okay, and today I'm joined by Sanjana Paris Rampuria, the head of Affinitive Labs in Asia. Hi, Sanjana, how are you doing? Very good, Vishen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. I, I really enjoy our talks usually, so I thought it would be a great idea to get you on the podcast and, uh, you know, talk a little bit about technology today and data. <laughs> of course. I mean, I love nodding out with you like you already know, so <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Great. Uh, I guess before we get into our discussion for today, um, I just want to ask you, you know, what has been the biggest change or the challenge for you, you know, working remotely, uh, particularly in Singapore now? Uh, I guess there's been cycles to this, right? Uh, wherein in the beginning when we actually uh, went into uh, virtual office mode and in Refinitiv, actually, we took the call to go into a virtual mode sooner than Singapore went in lockdown, for example. Um, there was a lot of curiosity around, hey, how do we adjust to this? How, how do we stay engaged? Especially from a lab's point of view, where we are a you know, a diverse bunch of people who come together on specific projects and the level of uh, interaction and collaboration is so high uh, that we almost sort of swung the pendulum to the end of uh, you know, really getting in uh, touch with each other all the time. After that, we realized that, hey, probably talking to each other more than we did in office as well and not allowing ourselves enough time to uh, uh, have head down space, etc. So, you, you know, after a few weeks, you swing into another zone. Uh, after that, it's been like, 
oh my god how long is this going to last it's been three months uh, uh, and over and is this ever going to end uh, and potentially uh, i mean things are looking up in singapore in the sense that we get enter the phase two piece we know that some of us are going to go back to office uh, depending on the nature of our roles and you know there are like things around having only 30% of the team there uh, at a point in time as we look at scaling pieces up so uh, it's good to know that you have an option coming your way that if you were completely going insane at home on account of i don't know being able to multitask uh, on account of your kids or your pets or you know just not being in a position to get yourself to work from home a lot of people want that flexibility so it's good to know that that's coming our way so when is phase 2 starting tomorrow Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so I can get more than a haircut. Um so now we get to, you know, gather in groups of less than 5 malls open up, you know, your gyms and um uh, facilities open up. You can actually sit in a restaurant and eat. So, yeah, I think it, it seems like freedom. <laughs> okay, that's that's good to hear. It's uh yeah, uh, I think everyone is slowly opening up. I I guess maybe not in US yet, but uh definitely in hong kong it is um, well it is very open i think and yeah singapore and malaysia is starting to open up slowly so yeah i guess we we'll, this will i guess take some time to to happen but it is happening so uh today i just want to talk to you a little bit more about uh unstructured data in particular i know that refinitive labs is actually working on some interesting stuff which i hope we will get to um late uh later in this podcast so but just for the benefit of our listeners here today and because many people understand unstructured data as uh, differently so to you what is your definition of unstructured data and how does it apply to the capital markets right um no it's a great thing that we're starting off with that because uh, it's always you know confusing i guess my very you know senior stakeholder or a business level user description of unstructured data in a speed dating version if i might say is that anything which can't be stored in a traditional column or a row database or think that something which can't be stored in a microsoft excel table is all unstructured data um but again if you want to sort of take one layer out and understand it from a little bit more technical perspective then uh, a simple way to understand is that unstructured data is basically information that either does not have a predefined data model or is not organized in a predefined manner um you know this could be things like uh stuff we write in our emails the pdf files and documents we get uh, the comments that we make um in social media um all this is Uh, unstructured data what we write the form and the structure whether we use short forms or not uh, is all you know nuanced with each individual so that therefore sort of it's a good way to get our head around uh, you know uh, those pieces being unstructured content uh, even this podcast by the way that we are doing is unstructured content if somebody was to uh, 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 listen to this and transcribe it and all of that is unstructured content because we are not following a format you're asking me something i'm replying something so on and so forth does that help yeah yeah that does, that definitely helps so i i guess at at the labs you know what has been your uh, I, i mean sorry maybe coming to 
focusing specific on like the capital markets and maybe Refinitiv's client and clients, right. you know, um, what has been, where have you seen the them, them use it most? And, uh, you know, from an application level, what, types of unstructured data i know that's a big <laughs> that's a big term there and uh, it's a big um i guess pool um you know what unstructured data have you seen them actually really zoning in uh into right so i always talk about this subject as you know being equivalent to uh, uh, an onion right uh, it has just so many layers in itself that uh, understanding it requires to uh, peel it one layer at a time. So uh, just before we get into the application pieces, just to understand the variety of context, um, we discussed what unstructured data is and you know the plethora of uh, the different type of content that could be considered as unstructured data. Uh, the next layer, if you were to say that, oh, you know, there's audio, there's video, there's all this text that I was talking about, which is all uh, sitting in the world, that's sort of the first piece to say that, okay, this is my world of unstructured data. If you take one layer out and it's like, now is this sitting in digital format uh, or is this also sitting in uh, hard copies somewhere? Uh, the next layer of step, which people typically will think about unstructured data and you'll sort of resonate uh, from a point of view that, OCR technology became very popular, you know, several years ago because people started digitizing their records. They wanted to be in a position to take their written legal contracts or written um, uh, pieces of forms that, you know, people would fill up in bank and actually create that uh, copy in the digital world. So that sort of became a, um, a, a major piece of work that people started doing. And more recent years would see that People started applying speech to text wherein you would take audio files or recordings and from a capital markets context, it could be, you know, when a company is giving an earning calls um, uh, uh, presentation, then what they say at that very minute is getting transcribed in real time. So there's speech to text. So it's all taking all this content and having it digitized. Now, let's take one more step. Uh, I might have done all of this digitization um, and now this all this data is available, uh, you know, in the form of text somewhere, I need to start um, what we call from a, you know, uh, in the data world, meta tagging this information. Uh, what that typically means is start understanding that, oh, this piece of the content is actually the subject. This is actually the body. Uh, this is actually the disclaimers um, that people would put typically, you know, at the end of an equity research report, for example, you'll have a variety of disclaimers where people say, while I'm brilliant at these opinions, don't take all of this at face value or I have, you know. <laughs> so uh, meta tagging is really, really important. And what it enables from um, uh, an application point of view is that people are then able to search. Uh, they are in a position to say that show me everything related to X or show me all my PDF files in one place. If you have tagged your content appropriately, uh, then you're in a position to surface all these things. After that, uh, there is another layer and uh, it's fascinating because then it's like, okay, I have all this content. Now I can understand that these are my reports and these are my emails and these are my, you know, uh, audio to text files, so on and so forth. And I'm able to surface them. Now I want to understand, uh, can I identify who is this about? Uh, and that is really from a technology standpoint, 
um, the network entity recognition piece start coming in is where you want to be in a position to answer questions like, uh, what is this piece of content talking about? Is it a company? Is it the government? Uh, is it a person? Who is that person? Is that person relevant to me, for example? Um, and it doesn't stop there. After you've understood things about saying that, okay, now I can actually tag uh, um, and I can actually start identifying uh, the entities involved. And in the world of finance, everybody cares about things like, you know, which is the company because it's difficult to understand from a piece of text whether uh, the text was talking about Apple the company or Apple the fruit. So you want to be in a position to uh, identify that, okay, it's talking about Apple the company. So there's a lot of technology methods which have evolved in order for us to be in a position to do that well. Then the next layer is that if it was not talking about Apple, let's say there was a news story, and news again is a big chunk of unstructured data, especially in our world, just because of uh, um, you know our engagement with uh, Reuters and the amount of news which comes our way, for example, um, is that even if the news story was not about Apple, for example, uh, but it was talking about a supplier which was uh, hit on account of um, you know, in this scenario, I had to shut down on account of uh, outbreak somewhere. Uh, I want to be in a position to quickly identify that that is actually related to Apple. And it will have an impact on Apple. It will have an impact on Apple's supply chain and therefore the supply it's in a position to provide and therefore demand and therefore revenue, etc. So all this is about understanding relationships. Uh, which is not directly identified within that segment of text. And that is where graph technology started evolving and coming, you know, into uh, the industry wherein we are in a position to then map that, okay, this is an investor and this is the implication it might have on a particular stock or this is about a supply chain or this story is about a director who's had some sort of news coming out which links that person to, you know, for example, an anti-money laundering racket and that would have an impact on the company and how uh, it is perceived by the market and, you know, the risks associated with it. Um, so mm -hmm. I walked through digitization, I walked through my meta tagging. I said that, you know, we could then take the next layer of understanding and answering the question, who is this about? Uh, and then even expanding that further and understanding that even if somebody is not specifically mentioned, there is an implied uh, uh, impact on something that I care about on account of relationship. Then the next more challenging piece, and this is where a lot of our efforts within the labs um, in Refinitiv Co and a lot of industry players also in this, which is still sitting in an area of, you know, not completely um, mature, but evolving sooner and as we speak, is being in a position to answer the question, is what exactly is this topic uh, or what exactly is this piece of information talking about? That's where you get into understanding topic modeling is you're in a position to not just, uh, you know, say that this is unstructured content and it's talking about this person, but identify that this is uh, the context in which they are talking about. They're actually talking about the stock price of Apple uh, going up on account of ABCD reasons. So that's where you start looking at, you know, the next layer of information is being in a position to identify the topics involved. Um, Something which probably will touch upon moving forward as well is that what do you do next with these pieces? And that's, again, a big area of focus right now within, uh, you know, 
my very smart team in Singapore is around being in a position to surface the sentiment around those topics. Uh, it's fine. Now I'm in a position to say that they are talking about X with regards to Apple, but I want to be in a position to understand, is it positive, is it negative, or is it neutral? Um, and that's where the work starts getting fascinating, wherein you can do great amount of topic modeling by using you know, advanced NLP, and we use that a lot within our world. But when it gets to sentiment, um, you got to be in a position to understand whether you only look at the text or you try to understand the tone um, or you try to understand an expression because, uh, you know, sometimes you, Vaishan, you know, you're relatively very diplomatic. And if that's always the way you use your tone, but the minute you shift your tone, uh, which is uh, away from what you were typically saying, then that's a nuance and an information from a sentiment point of view, which you need to be in a position to capture. So that sort of work, again, sits absolutely within uh, where, you know, wide variety of research development and emerging uh, focuses coming in is to be in a position to accurately surface sentiment. Um, then sort of slowly navigating myself back to the question you raised is you want to then understand that even if you walk through this entire hierarchy of getting yourself around unstructured data as to how do I apply this? Um, and even before I mention, you know, a variety of use cases, whether it's sitting uh, within investment banking or within hedge funds or asset management funds, um, uh, the first thing to understand is what can I do with this? Um, is this is there money to be made? Am I supposed to go uh, hedge a risk on the back of this? Or this should help me have a better understanding about a client I'm service, servicing or a portfolio that I'm managing so as to have a better view on uh, having a better discussion. Like in wealth management, a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of uh, firms will use a level of what I have just articulated in order to be in a position to prepare their frontline wealth managers uh, better in how they talk to their customers so that they can be far more informed about uh, the key things that are happening with regards to the securities that they might be pitching or the equities that they might be pitching with their high net worth individuals. Or um, a lot of, I mean, money is going in from the buy side into just being in a position to identify a signal from all of this content so that they can take it back into their investment strategies or even their algos directly in the form of uh, another way to generate more alpha. Uh, there's just so many applications which are sitting there, but uh, where I have seen many firms succeed is when they have a bit of a vertical approach where you start with the question you want to ask uh, and then try to understand how do you need to uh, lay down your attack plan for tackling unstructured data. Uh, many times what I've seen not working is uh, when people... Um, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this and what your experience has been in all the discussions you have. It's just so much money I see going by people saying that we want to set up this big data lake um, where we want all this content coming in. And, they, you know, uh, the steps that I spoke about or the layers of that onion that I spoke about, uh, they try to tackle it layer by layer versus 
trying to organize themselves in a way that you start with the end point and then walk your way backwards to understand what is the slice that I first create. Otherwise, it can be a never-ending piece and people never then truly see a return on investment on how they have been tackling this. And sometimes, you know, these things just have to be shut down because you've been at it for the last two, three years and put millions of dollars of investment in trying to get your head around how to get more out of this data. And it's just that you approached it the absolute, you know, uh, uh, reverse pattern. Uh, so, yeah. I, hmm. I mean, do you see, let's say, uh, because this, I mean, unstructured data is used by so many, um, I guess, aspects of the financial markets, right? Whether it's uh, in IB or research or uh, on the asset management side of things. Maybe let's focus on the, let's pick one, uh, let's say asset management and focus on that. So let if they're looking for, if asset managers are looking for uh, at unstructured data, um, maybe maybe even their own unstructured data and their clients' unstructured data that they have internally, you know, um, how how would they how should they actually approach it in terms of like how what so so you you mentioned earlier that they need to ask the question first, right? And they need to identify what question that they want answered and then uh, choose a, a manner of uh, attack from there. So. If they're trying to find a signal from the the unstructured data, let's say the internal unstructured data that they have, you know, how should they go about uh, executing that? Right. So it's interesting, right? I mean, uh, specifically from an asset management standpoint, it depends on how you define internal or external unstructured data. But frankly, how you deal with either of them isn't very different. Um, technically, uh, they would need to walk through the same pieces. Practically, there's just a lot more help available on the external side. If one might consider, you know, uh, the sell-side equity research coming from uh, brokers as external data or the earning call transcripts or the company filings or news. I'm thinking about all these as external to an asset management firm versus they may ha have internal documents and notes which they circulate in sort of their own conviction list or their own strategies, which could be more internal pieces of data and that could be a little bit more diverse than all these other pieces where um, is available from you know uh, uh, data providers uh, for example so approaching the problem is the same right um, what I would do is that okay within an asset management firm if what I'm trying to solve for is that um, uh, I want my uh, team of research analysts to be better placed in understanding what's happening for the portfolio that they keep researching as a day job. Um, you know, when I started working on uh, something for the buy side with respect to unstructured data, I was actually amazed with the discovery on the number of um, uh, people do they, uh, they have whose day job is to scour this content, uh, be it news, be it filings, be it reports, be it uh, you know, earning call transcripts or company presentations in order to form a view. Uh, so the first thing is to understand that who am I solving for? So if I'm solving for my research analysts, then I want to understand what is the breadth of this content that they are looking at and how can I think about supporting their workflow? So for example, you know, um, the problems that typically they have, uh, let's take one stock, maybe Amazon, 
for any buy side equity analyst who's covering Amazon in a 90 day period, they will receive about 200 research reports about Amazon. And this, the, these sort of reports are between two to 60 pages in length. Um, mm. On top of this, uh, they will receive, you know, transcripts and filings and maybe about 50 news stories a day on Amazon, which is coming. Now, they got to stay on top of all of this. And at a company level, you don't want individual research analysts to have their own view. You want to be in a position to have some level of standardization of what the company takes away for all the equities that they cover. So this is a clear case of information overload. There is no way that a human being is in a position to manage all of this. So once I've started to understand that uh, this is the problem that I'm solving for, um, and then I've understood that this is a wide variety of uh, content that I want to look at, is understand that, okay, the person wants to understand uh, exactly whether I need to be um, uh, investing more in this stock or I need to, you know, uh, alter some positions that I might have already taken because I'm identifying more risk than usual. Or there has been a sudden shift, whether it's in the company itself or in the competitive landscape, which does not keep this equity as attractive, for example. And from there, I tried to structure my way back into that funnel that I spoke about in saying that, okay, uh, I need this data. I need to be in a position to answer this question. It needs to have an element of entity. It needs to, entity extraction. It needs to have an element of relationship. It needs to have an element of topic. It needs to have an element of sentiment. And uh, therefore, I'm not going to take it one piece at a time, but going to look at it as a whole and then solve for only those pieces that make sense for that use case. Um, am I making sense to you? Yeah, yeah, you are. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's that's in interesting. Um, so another thing we talked about, I mean, because they are not using it in isolation, right? They are often combining uh, the unstructured data they have once they've, uh, let's say, um, let's say they have it all in order and it's ready to, uh, I oh. guess, be be used. Um, no. You know, they're, they're combining it with, let's say, uh, putting it in in uh, some of their models, uh, maybe uh, they need to train these models. Um, you know, how how different is it training a model using unstructured data versus structured data? Uh, so, no, it's a great question, actually. So think about it in two ways. Whatever we just discussed before in the earlier question is that uh, it could be applied in various ways, right? It could be that right. we've just created a workflow application, which is allowing somebody to get a 360 degree view with the bottom line um, in a brilliant data visualization so that they are in a position to think about having made um, uh, a big play on efficiency such that they might not need 300 analysts or they might not need 300 analysts who are doing uh, things in different ways. The other piece that you are talking about is actually because they've done this right, they feel that they have now been in a position to identify that there is an element of signal in this data because, um, uh, and I'll get to a little bit of a nuance in there as well. That's when people start thinking that, okay, there's actually a secret 
piece that I've uncovered that by looking at all this unstructured data, the signal in it, and I want to actually take it back into my investment strategy. Uh, it's rather simple if you've gone through the process that you have uh, in order to uncover the signal. The additionalities you would do is you would backtest it enough to understand that it is a true signal. So there is, you know, that one piece which asset management firms are really good at doing because they would not place uh, bets on the back of something which is unproven. Mm-hmm. Um, but after you have sort of proven that piece, then that becomes uh, one more element of a larger equation. Now, is building models difficult on unstructured data in general um, versus structured data? I guess it's 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 more newer, it's more different. Uh, it, it's a different skill set uh, where you would require people who are NLP, deep learning, graph, or you know, um, entity recognition specialists versus somebody who is uh, looking at understanding whether the price went up or down or using machine learning specifically if they were already using advanced data science on the other end. But if you have those sort of skills within um, the company, it's not a big deal to that end. And again, more and more emerging technology um, uh, startups or you know even people like Refinitiv who are piping so much of this content uh, through to the buy side um, are developing those type of capabilities within the content itself so that it becomes far more fungible in their larger context. Uh, but again, no external people um, are going to say that uh, I have identified the signal and use it because if I were to do that as Refinitiv, then you know hundreds of asset management firms would be trading on that and there isn't a signal. So they need to uh, certainly think about that as their own secret sauce. But uh, more and more, these type of inputs are coming in a delivered fashion where you're in a position to build a delta that you require from the context that suits you best and pick and choose what makes sense for you into uh, your investment strategy. Right, right. Okay, and um, and maybe just to elaborate a little bit on what Refinitiv Labs are actually working on in, I mean, dealing with uh, unstructured data, you, you have an, uh, a product that you're working on, right, called the Centimine. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yep. So, I mean, <clears throat> um, yeah, so Centimine, something very close to our hearts because it's sort of um, uh, we stumbled upon it in our casual, you know, regular conversations with a variety of our customers sitting on the buy side, wherein we started to understand that just staying on top of uh, this plethora of content, be it equity research reports or company filings or news or earning calls, is an incredibly expensive manual labor. Uh, type of task and Mm -hmm. the fact that we already have access to all that content we wanted to be in a position to take a stab at trying to solve for this so uh, we you know uh, had several conversations with a wide variety of people in the world of investment management as as well as investment banking because they deal with a lot of these type of pieces as well uh, to understand what might we do with this Um, there was a lot of uh, uh, you know tinkering with a variety of ways to solve for this. We even explored an angle of saying that 
let's come up with three point summaries on these pieces like you know the top three takeaways it's like uh, in your article your uh, first para which is in bold which gives me the essence of what this is about so that people can pick and choose what they should read versus trying to uh, read everything to figure that it was a waste of my time um but that proved to be not such a great approach because uh, uh one every different person has a different ideal summary for example or the key three takeaways depending on the context with which they are looking at that content so that wasn't a meaningful way to solve for it and that's where sort of sentiment on the back of the variety of discussions took place was where we started to um, understand that all this content is there what people are interested from the uh, investment management point of view is i want to understand what are the key topics which are impacting the portfolio or the peer group of the portfolio i care about um, and what is the sentiment on those topics what shifting uh people more discussions led us to understand that people from a signal standpoint want to understand what is the contrarian uh, sentiment as opposed to where the consensus view lies because it might just so happen that everybody thinks that a particular stock is going to uh, you know over the next um, 90 day period have a buy rating and have a target price of this on account of a b c d factors but there might be somebody else who has a very different view and maybe that person is somebody you really uh, value from an opinion standpoint because that's like uh, an analyst who's gotten more right than wrong or for whatever reason you have more faith in that analyst Uh, then you want to be in a position to identify that in a quick way versus having to read those 40 page reports coming from 500 contributors uh, you know on a periodic basis so sentiment is really uh, something which solves for these type of things wherein we have looked at all types of equity content um uh, uh, that i describe and what we do is surface the key topics at an equity level um which are being spoken about in the context of this equity and what is the sentiment with which they are being spoken about uh, is there a contrarian view and uh, you know whether that view is being held by somebody who has a um, great track record uh, because we have analyst ratings as a part of um you know our other pieces so we are in a position to bring that type of contextual information in order to allow somebody to even have uh, an understanding whether they should care about this contrarian view the other piece is you want to understand uh, how does this stack up in the context of uh, the peer companies uh, for this particular equity especially in today's time right people want to understand that in my portfolio uh, for example uh, is um, alibaba being as impacted uh by uh, the covid situation um uh um, you know as compared to uh an amazon or an walmart or a tesco or you know all stocks that you would put in a similar category where you want to then be in a position to adjust your bets on the back of the diversification that you want to bring in in the context of you know the market scenario today for example so sentiment really um it's been an incredible journey over the past uh, nine months sort of working through these pieces uh, helps put all this unstructured content at an equity level in one place emerge these type of contrarian and 
consensus sentiment and allows people to navigate that uh, within the PDF as well. So it's like not trying to say take me and my calculation at face value. Here is uh, the exact sentence which leads me to believe that this is where why this person has this type of a view. Okay, uh, I mean, and because this is targeted towards both in investment managers and also uh, investment banking side of things, uh, side of uh, the capital markets, could you maybe give me a specific example, maybe dealing with a specific stock and how each each of those uh, divisions, I guess, of a, of a business would look at, would use Centimine? Yeah, so within an asset management firm or anybody you know, looking at investments would uh, uh, log on, get an understanding on a daily basis as to uh, what shifted in view with regards to my uh, equity. They could do this for their portfolio. They could do this for their single stock. Um, and then they would be in a position um, to walk away with a clear view on whether um, I should continue to hold my positions or I need to take some type of an action wherein uh, prospects are looking really good uh, and I think I like those prospects and I should invest more or, you know, risks are emerging which I need to hedge against. So they will walk away with that insight. Um, research analysts or portfolio managers who scour this will just save um, exemplary amount of time. I mean, everybody, um, uh, you know, and we've sort of been engaged with probably two dozen uh, of our sort of um, uh, large customers in this space globally uh, for sort of uh, taking their feedback on Centimine and giving them uh, early access and proof of concepts that um, say that this is actually allowing me to focus more on what I want to be in a position uh, to do with it versus just trying to stay on top of it. Because most of the times, you know, people only read the headline of a particular thing and never find the time to be in a position to actually get into the details. And in here, you're in a position to prioritize your time in a significant way. So for those guys, the efficiency play is brilliant. Uh, from an investment banking side, for like junior bankers and senior bankers as well, I mean, they want to be in a position to get a quick aggregated view so that they are in a far more prepared when they are pitching uh, to the company that they want to cover or they want to onboard from an M&A standpoint or um, you know, uh, a variety of things, right? So most of the investment managers uh, have come, I mean, investment bankers have come back to us and said that, can you provide me a way that I can just take this printout and embed this into my pitch deck? So that when they do go and talk to uh, the company management, because if they were company, covering that company or have a relationship, then they are in a position to uh, proactively identify what topics do we need to talk to this company about because they want to be in the know right from the beginning uh, versus uh, only understand what's going to impact uh, after things have happened, for example. Right, right. Okay. So it, you, you mentioned that uh, this, this, uh, um, this solution is now out uh, at, uh, I mean, Sorry, only two dozen of your biggest clients have early access to this. Um, when do you, uh, you know, <laughs> when do you think that it will be, it'll be out for wider use? Right. Um, 
So yeah, so anything that we do in the lab, right? It's always mm-hmm. um, very um, uh, um, outside in, which means that we function like a um, non-traditional R&D unit. Like a lot of our stuff requires, um, you know, um, inventions, but at the same time, we are always um, working with customers. So throughout the life cycle, and I mentioned that even identifying the problem or an opportunity to solve something for the industry was on the back of our engagements with our customers. So they've been sort of, um, and we're lucky that we've got, you know, uh, customers who care about it enough to devote their time and energy with us, you know, during the life cycle of the product development. And obviously, uh, given that they've been involved with us, they are privy to, you know, um, uh, uh, experimenting with it, using it, giving us feedback, because all that is something we take back into our development exercise. And we don't want to put out something out there because we thought it was good. It is always in the context of these engagements. Uh, from making this available to the world, um, uh, uh, this is something which is currently being uh, worked through because we feel that most of our customers who are already on our platforms, you know, like Icon and Refinitive Workspaces would benefit for this being embedded into their current workflow. We don't want them to think about this as being a standalone application that it currently um, is. So how we want for this to be, you know, scaled through the universe of our customers is such that they can uh, ingest this as a part of uh, what they are already interacting with without having to think about logging into another, you know, uh, application or tool because you want to be in a position to probably use this information in the context of a wide variety of other pieces that your desktop or your um, workspaces application is providing you. So to that end, this is targeted for release. Um, uh, you know, it's already sort of gotten into production and we're working our way through when we would make this available and I'll let you know when uh, we are ready to announce things on that front. Uh, in the interim, certainly uh, we continue to seek more feedback as we um, uh, scale this to a point where in, in the beginning, uh, I had 50 customers, uh, you know, who were like, hey, uh, we've heard about this. Can we have, uh, you know, a look at it? And it was like, no, right now I cannot support more than 20 users at a time on this. But these are from several months ago, right? We've taken several mm-hmm. strides and steps forward. So we will be um, uh, speaking with a, a lot many more customers uh, to have access to this in an early access um, version uh, soon enough. I mean, my team's working day and night to sort of get that piece out such that uh, more people on a request basis are in a position to, you know, get their hands on something like this. Okay, okay. That's uh, that's interesting. So, I mean, right now, um, because you said it has, it has grown a little bit, uh, in, in terms of like the, the cust- amount of customers that you can uh, support using this, I mean, how many, how many does that stand? Where does that stand now? Right. I mean, our aim is that um, uh, till such time, this is not available to, you know, um, thousands of users. Uh, we are our eventual release, which will be soon enough in any case in a few months time. Um, uh, we should be in a position to truly expand from uh, uh, the few that I mentioned to you before to a few hundreds. 
So that's where much of the effort today is going in, is that we are in a position to have 500-odd users uh, using Sentiment concurrently uh, within um, uh, you know, the application that it is today. But of course, in a few months' time when this comes up for release, then uh, everybody, and I hope several people, would find value in something like this. Okay, so this will be, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but this will be built into Refinitiv workspaces? Yes, so we will have this available um, and, you know, within Refinitiv um, uh, workspaces as well as Icon, uh, and we will sort of be releasing it in um, segments wherein first the target is to make this available within um, ICON where much of our buy-side community is um, already um, engaged with us on and that's where you know and uh, as you already might I'm certain you are aware that um, Refinitive Workspaces is um, our sort of evolution of um, ICON and you know it's got a later version of UX experiences, interfaces, and sort of workflow um, integrations, which would make it a lot more intuitive. So we are hoping that we are in a position to provide uh, a sentiment to our investment banking uh, uh, community uh, in workspaces, which is already moving there uh, because we recently launched workspaces for investment bankers uh, and sentiment should be available in workspaces for the investment banking community. Okay, and I um, I'm aware that this is only uh, now for uh, available for I mean you've you've only used this you look, looking at uh, equity equity content right um, is there any uh, are there any plans to maybe expand this or can it be expanded into maybe like the fixed income space for example? <laughs> You're asking me all the questions uh, my executive leadership team asks me all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, it can be, and I'd love to, but um, hey, uh, the thing with these things um, is that you got to understand where scale uh, scale makes sense and where it doesn't. I think principally the way we've gone about approaching uh, Centermine uh, has been really fabulous because it's not just uh, looking through all the pieces that I mentioned to you before around, you know, uh, the layers of the onion, but uh, also the application sides of things are brilliant. Uh, can we expand this to a variety of other pieces of content? Absolutely. Can that be done without uh, uh, a thought? Absolutely not, because one has to understand whether um, uh, the basic structure tonality uh, for those asset classes, are they similar or not? Uh, mm -hmm. For example, um, you know, I mean, especially in Asia, because uh, there is, you know, FX is such an important asset class in this part of the world that we have so many uh, uh, requirements which come around being in a position to help the FX community more. So another piece of work that we've been doing is to uh, uh, understand how we are in a position to, again, it's looking at unstructured content, understanding uh, what's happening, you know, from real-time events and how is it impacting currencies. And that's exactly going back to the point that I'm making. Uh, if we focus on uh, the questions you want to raise and for whom we are solving the problem, we would be in a position to leverage the same piece of fundamental architecture 
to answer those relevant questions because there i got to then think about from an effect standpoint how do i understand you know whether this news story for example is impacting uh um the usd yen rate uh, versus you know and whether it's impacting it in a direction where the price is going to increase or decrease versus uh, uh sgd usd for example so um that one needs to get that right but can we re- reuse a wide variety of our components absolutely so my advice to a lot of my customers also always goes is that whenever we are embark on any type of uh artificial intelligence machine learning or nlp driven projects is um to think about creating a modular architecture which is in a position to lend itself horizontally uh but start from the vertical requirement uh you know so that you're in a position to reuse components where they make sense but don't just expand things to a wide variety of use cases uh without necessarily understanding whether it specifically is going to help somebody that you want to help if i want to help fx traders uh with the same piece of uh you know um technology i need to understand what my technology needs to do at the end point first and then walk my way back uh if that makes sense yeah yeah that makes that makes perfect sense so i mean just to um and as you mentioned earlier you know yeah, you and i we like to our, our conversations usually usually end up uh, you know with us geeking out about something <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> to to bring that to life i guess um You you talked about how uh, I just want to know understand a little bit more about how Sentiment was actually built, and you you mentioned that it, there's use of advanced NLP in it. Um, what what technologies did you did you use to actually build this out? And what was involved in like the the what is underneath the layer? <laughs> of course, I just want to spill all the beans right here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would be um, glad if you did. <laughs> of course, why not? So to the extent I can, right? I mean, yes. <laughs> it's not rocket science. Uh, um, uh, it, it's just a smart accumulation of a variety of things. And I must say that the reason why we are in a position to embark upon a lot of these type of um, you know, uh, advanced pieces in the labs is one we have a lot of that data sitting in our world um the and the other pieces because we are a financial data provider uh, and you know that's sort of our day job and our business uh, that content is um, you know curated maintained by a wide variety of team right so uh, that whole thing about garbage in garbage out uh so we are really helped a lot by the fact that we are in the setting that we are and the other pieces around being in a position to tag the entities and the topics and understand those relationships we are in a position to do much of those things already because it's off the shelf for us like even our customers who might be using those you know uh, solutions or products or uh, Uh, content from us uh, could do that themselves but we are helped a lot so going into the whole technology side right um, i guess at the heart of how we surface the key models we've been um, we've experimented a lot and this is not the first project 
from an advanced NLP we are doing. I mean, we've already done some great pieces of work which are available off the shelf in markets um, and people are using this, especially in the world of compliance and regulation and things like that. Uh, I can talk to you about that if you require it later. But um, what we, we ended up using is um, our own custom version of BERT. Um, now, BERT is like an, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, it's Google's oh, transformer. Exactly, model. exactly, right. So uh, we thought that it was really good uh, to help us, um, you know, uh, look at identifying key topics and sentiment altogether. So, and obviously, you know, again, uh, this is also a challenge for a lot of these, uh, and there are a lot of companies who are trying to do the same thing. Uh, we can't use stuff off the shelf in many, many, you know, situations and more often than not, because we sit in this nuanced world of finance, wherein our dictionary uh, of speech and, you know, rolling up an expense into operating costs uh, is very unique to the world of finance. And much of these things which sit in the world of open source tend to be uh, built on, you know, uh, not just financial content or context. So to that end, we've had to custom make a whole bunch of things wherein, you know, create our own financial ontology, which can be overlaid on top of this so that it actually is sensible to a very, uh, you know, uh, advanced asset management user who's not going to um, be okay with us referencing, you know, uh, operating costs as something else, for example. And uh, so, yeah, we're using uh, a very, very modified version of BERT, but that sits within sort of uh, the heart of Centimine. Um, we use entity recognition to be in a position to identify uh, what company uh, is this being, this talking about. Again, this is something which we are already very good at within the company. Uh, we're using um, uh, deep learning neural nets to identify certain other pieces and layers of the information which BERT alone would not solve. So it's a very curated mix of a wide variety of you know technology and we've spoken about this version. I mean the only reason we can do this is also because of the talent we managed to get in the labs. I mean my team's 100 times more smarter than me uh, and I'm probably working with few of the best uh, scientists, you know, out there in the world who are in a position to not just understand technology, but understand how they apply to finance. And um, most of them come from like asset management, hedge fund backgrounds themselves. So they are in a position to even appreciate uh, from the context of, you know, an end user as to how we need to be thinking about this. So uh, that's to the extent I can go in uncovering the layer. Uh, <laughs> on what's behind Centimine. But there's a lot of literature we've put out there now in the public domain on Centimine. So if anybody was to go to definitive.com and to the labs page, they are in a position to look at, you know, a demo of Centimine, understand the technology stack we are using. And this is all built in the cloud, right? And today it's even possible to do that because um, there is technology you know, infrastructure which allows us to build this because we have concurrently 
um, 200 models which are running in order to have that real-time assessment of what exactly this piece of content is talking about and what is the sentence on this topic and what does this mean for you? Is this a shift? Is it status quo being maintained? Uh, and do you need to go, you know, act, uh, hedge or buy or something of that sort? Okay. I, I guess you'll only be adding more to these models, these 200 models that you already have, right? Yeah, I hope not. I mean, that's what my scientists want. <laughs> Where it's like, he can do this with it and that with it. No, uh, it's, it's vast, right? I mean, as you kind of uncover uh, this, I mean, even when we started with this whole sentiment cycle for a particular equity and then said that, okay, somebody can actually look at it at a portfolio level, um, then it was like, why don't we start especially the ask from our investment banking customers is like, I want to look at this in the context of all the peers and understand how, you know, uh, mid cap security, uh, you know, in this geography is comparing to the rest of my mid caps, or I want to bring the sector lens, or I want to be in a position to bring geography, sector, mid cap, small cap, large cap into the same mix so that I can actually, you know, slice and dice it myself. And that was something we took back into the lab and built that component in, and it's been brilliant. And a lot of many more suggestions are coming on how we can scale this uh, to a wide variety of different application areas, you know, and like you mentioned, one way to think about is just expanding it to a variety of asset classes. Another way to think about it is you bring in more functionality where people are in a position to, you know, uh, slice and dice that at a fund level, wherein I want to be in a position to look at uh, all the funds in the world and see how they are performing, you know, from a variety of different uh, drivers which are uh, being impacted for the equities that the funds cover, for example. Right, right. Okay, wow. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, we could go on talking for hours, but... <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's always fun, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is. And I, I really enjoy talking to you. So um, thank, thank you once again, Sanjana, for, for coming on the podcast. Um, always, uh, I'm sure we'll get you back at another stage to talk a little a bit more about your other, uh, other things that you're working on. But uh, yeah, thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Vaishan. Thank you very much for having me. And have a safe time ahead and hope we are in a position to meet face to face at some point in time. Flights will fly between Singapore and Hong Kong, I assume. <laughs> I hope so too. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers.